A decade-long streak of losing to ranked teams on the road continued for the UConn Huskies on Tuesday night, and now we revisit if they or Purdue are the best team in college hoops. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, folks? Happy Wednesday. Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, a daily national college hoop show Part, of course, of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host, Andy Patton, joined today by Leaf to Lean, our regular Wednesday guest and a contributor to the Locked On NBA Big Board. I want to thank all of you for making this show your first listen or your first watch of the day and remind you that today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Folks, download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code Locked On, and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. Well, we got an exceptional day of college basketball to recap here on today's episode. We'll be talking about BYU's win over Baylor, Utah State over San Diego State, a near loss for Tennessee to Missouri in the SEC. That would have been an absolute stunner. We got some bubble games to talk about as well. Michigan State's loss to Iowa, Wake Forest big win over Pitt. All of this coming up, but as you could all imagine, are eagerly anticipating we are leading off today's show with Creighton's huge victory over the Huskies of UConn. 85-66 to 66 was the final score. And I touched on this in the opening, but for those of you who have not seen this rather startling stat, despite two national championships, despite being the number one ranked team in the country, the UConn Huskies have not won a road game against a ranked opponent since they beat Memphis in 2014. Leaf, I did not know this stat at all before this game happened, and I saw people start tweeting it during the game when Creighton had a big lead. That is a stunning stat. Now, it's 21 games. Part of that is just the lack of strength in the Big East over that time period. The Big East is great now, has been not as good for parts of that time, but th- this is incredible. That UConn has won two national championships and done what they have done over this last decade without winning a single road game against a ranked opponent. Yeah, I knew of the stat because I remember last year when they had their opportunity, it was like UConn hasn't been great of years past, but this is the chance and this is a test if if they can be a legitimate team, if they win one of those road games and they lost to Marquette, I believe it was at mm-hmm. that time. But the, the greater story to me is Creighton's turning it around. Yeah. Like Creighton, we, we've talked about this a little bit, and, and maybe you and Isaac have talked about it more than I have when I've been on here, but Creighton was probably the team that I felt got snubbed the most when the, the selection committee gave us the top 16 seeds or mm-hmm. four, uh, four sets of four teams. I felt like they were deserving to be a four seed at least. And then they come out and play like a team that can beat anyone. And a lot of the stuff we've critiqued them for has been, oh, Stephen Ashworth hasn't been very good in physical Big East games. Mm-hmm. Um, when Alexander's not going well or when Shireman's not going well, that they don't win. Well, Shireman didn't have a good game. Alexander was stupendous. Kalkbrenner mm-hmm. did his thing on the interior. And obviously Ashworth went ballistic in the first half. But typically it's been, oh, all three of the, their big horses have to be great. And I want to say one thing is, I didn't know about Jason Green. I know a lot about a lot of rosters. Like it, it's, it takes a lot to shock me in college basketball. When this guy came in, I texted my friend right away. And I was like, man, who the heck is this guy? Because <laughs> he's got a body to play yeah. in the big, in big games as a four. And he stretches the floor. Like Mason Miller 
is a very good shooter and he hustles. Isaac Trout is a good shooter, but he's he's kind of slow of foot. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this guy Jason Green comes in, hits a couple corner threes, rebounds, and and then he's locking up Alex Caravan. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a secret weapon that really elevates them at the next level. If he's playing more, the redshirt freshman who broke his hand coming into the season, uh, I I'm really impressed with Creighton. I think they were already deserving of being a top four seed. Then they beat Butler by 22 on the mm-hmm. road. Butler's a bubble team. That's a really good win yeah. by that margin, at least. And then, of course, they beat the number one team in the country like a drum at their home place after responding to going down early. So yeah. I think it's about the Jays more than it is the Huskies not winning a road game. I still think UConn's probably the best team in the country. But you, but you go into a hostile environment, a team gives you their A game, and sometimes you don't win. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think it was. But Creighton, to me, is is a team that needs to be in the top four. Yeah, Creighton was is currently ninth in the net. Obviously, they were not that high when the top 16 reveal came out. But at this point, uh, especially when you look at Wisconsin struggles, uh, I was a little surprised to see San Diego State in that top 16 reveal. They did, took a loss to Utah State. We'll get to that a little later. But uh, to me, Creighton was the the very obvious team that should have been in that top 16 that was not. And now I'm quite certain if this thing were to be revealed today or tomorrow, that Creighton would, in fact, be in that in one of those spots and they would very clearly deserve it. But the conversation now is about this this UConn versus Purdue comparison because we've talked about it. I don't know how many times on the show, pretty extensively, usually at least once a week, it comes up and we kind of had the conversation on Monday of like, all right, UConn blasts Marquette, Purdue loses to Ohio State, who's the second worst team in the Big Ten. It's very clear these two teams are, you know, diverging in different directions. UConn's clearly the number one team. And then this happens. And now we kind of have to revisit this conversation, take a look again, because the resumes have been really close all season long. And now they're kind of back in that same position. UConn is 24 and three, Purdue is 23 and three. UConn is fourth in the net, Purdue is second in the net. Both teams have a quad one record of nine and three. UConn is four and oh in quad two, two and oh in quad three, nine and oh in quad four. Purdue, six and oh, five and oh, three and oh. So Purdue has more quad two wins, more quad three wins, but they have the same quad one record. Purdue's second at Ken Palm. UConn is third at Ken Palm. Purdue's adjusted offensive efficiency is second. UConn's is third. Purdue's adjusted defensive efficiency is 20th. UConn's 23rd. These resumes are really, really similar. I think where you start to see some differences and where some people have have kind of been able to, to make their choices, I suppose, between these two teams is the quality of losses. UConn's lost at Kansas. No shame in that. They lost at Seton Hall, which is their worst loss, although Seton Hall has been quite good this year. And now, of course, they have this loss at Creighton. Meanwhile, Purdue's three losses are all to mediocre teams in the Big Ten. They're all road losses, Northwestern, Nebraska, Ohio State. So I think that's kind of where some people are saying, well, Purdue's got worse losses than UConn. That's a justifiable argument. I do see it. Purdue has six wins over ranked opponents, whereas UConn has five. Now, some of those teams are no longer ranked teams. Both of them have wins over Gonzaga, for example. Uh, One of UConn's is over Texas, who's not a ranked team anymore. But I feel like these teams are really close, and it still feels like you could kind of make an argument either way. Leaf, where are you kind of at with these two teams uh, in terms of the number one team in the country right now? Well, I... I think mine relies more on the eye test than any metric. Yeah. I'd actually argue that the resume favors Purdue because mm-hmm. of their their Maui run, yeah. where where they won against big time teams. They beat mm-hmm. Marquette in the final. They beat Tennessee, and mm-hmm. those two teams have been they're on the two line. Like mm-hmm. if we're just going off of resumes, Purdue 
in one weekend beat two of those teams and then yeah. Gonzaga, who at the time was ranked, but two teams that as of last weekend by the committee standards were on the two line. So two of the best eight teams in the country per the committee, who is what actually matters, not us prognosticating about it. So they have that. They they beat uh, Arizona, who Mm -hmm. at that time was the number one team in the country. And that was in Indiana. It wasn't at Purdue, but it was basically a home game. So I I understand that. But you 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 have three wins right there against three of the top eight teams in the country. Mm -hmm. UConn. Lost to Kansas. I know it was on the road. They lost to other teams. So I think Purdue's got a better resume. Mm-hmm. But I actually still favor UConn as being the better basketball team, just based off my eyes, because I think they they have less holes on their roster. Yeah. I think I think Purdue can play a better A game than UConn, maybe, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like when they play their best, they're harder to beat because then Zach Eady's playing very well mm-hmm. and their shooters hit shots. I think the reason they have more holes is when their shooters don't hit shots and they have turnovers, they don't win. Uh, Matt Painter made his whole his whole spiel this offseason of if Purdue doesn't turn the ball over, they win because they get a point per possession, even if they miss threes because they get so many of those offensive rebounds. Right. And they're actually shooting well from three this year as opposed to the 31 percent they shot last year. So that's pretty geeky stuff. Mm-hmm. But but Matt Painter's right. If they shoot the ball and they don't even make it, they still have a great chance of scoring each possession because of the behemoth that is Zach Eady. And yep. now if you shoot 38 percent from three like they have, they're going to win. UConn, I, I think they're just so well-balanced and they're less susceptible to a bad game from a star impacting them as much as it impacts Purdue. Yeah. And so uh, I think UConn's a less susceptible to being upset team. And I'm not saying this with any history, knowing, oh, mm-hmm. Purdue's lost a lot of times. I just think that the brand of basketball, if, it, if you have a bad shooting day or a couple extra turnovers, it really alters Purdue's chances, whereas UConn's got five players, doesn't matter who plays well. Um, they're going to find a way to score. And defensively, they're one of the top teams in the country. So that's just personal preference. Mm-hmm. But I'd actually say resume-wise, I, I think Purdue should be the number one overall seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand that argument. I, I, I agree with you. I think the UConn can be two multiple different ways and is less susceptible to. I mean, for them to lose this game, it took Alex Caravan having a bad game. It took uh, Cam Spencer having a bad game. It took Stefan Castle not doing much. It took Creighton shooting the absolute bejesus out of the basketball. Like all of those things had to happen. Now, granted, they got beat quite badly in this game. It wasn't a particularly close game, but it still required multiple of their key players playing poorly for them to lose this game. It feels like Purdue is more likely to lose games when they don't need as many of those things to happen. Like obviously if Zach has a bad game and the shooters shoot well, they might still win, but that's a lot more difficult than if like, you know, Tristan Newton has a bad game, but Spencer and Caravan go off. UConn's still probably going to win. So, like, that's kind of where I think that there is a, a maybe just a subtle difference, but we're nitpicking. We're talking about the two top teams in the country. Like, of course, we're going to be a little nitpicky about it, but uh, I think it's clear these are still the two top teams in the country. I think you can make an argument either way, but I do think UConn is a little bit more balanced and less susceptible to those kind of losses, which gives them a slight edge in terms of just who I would pick as most likely to, like, advance further. But I get the resume argument as well. Leaf, we got so many other basketball games from Tuesday night to discuss. We got a pair of high-level programs in the state of Utah picking up big wins. We're going to get to that and a near disaster for Rick Barnes and Tennessee. But first, 
I want to tell you all about today's sponsored game time. Folks, we are just three weeks away from the Power Conference college basketball tournaments. And if you don't have tickets, but your team is making a wild run, game time is a great place to get last minute tickets so you don't miss out on all the excitement. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all of the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. And with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, GameTime is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. And this one's fun. With GameTime's zone deals, you pick the section and GameTime picks the seats for big-time savings. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with GameTime, where you can buy tickets in seconds with just two taps. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's $20 off your first purchase at game time with code locked on. Terms do apply. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, guarantee. All right, Leaf, let's get into the rest of Tuesday night's action. It wasn't just Creighton beating UConn, although that was, of course, the big story of the game. We did see BYU, the 25th ranked team in the country, holding on to a spot in that top 25 and now pushing themselves further back up with a big win over the Bears of Baylor, 78-71. to Baylor was 11th. And this is a big opportunity for Baylor to potentially gain ground in the Big 12 race, and they squandered it. And now they're 8-5. and five in the Big 12. They're two games back from Houston, one game back from Iowa State, tied with Kansas. Tough, tough loss for Baylor and an opportunity that they didn't quite take advantage of. Meanwhile, BYU shoots 39% from three, out-rebounds Baylor, gets themselves a big victory. I also want to talk Utah State beating San Diego State 68-63. The Aggies are in sole possession now of first place in the Mountain West. I was surprised personally that Utah State fell out of the top 25 last week. I thought they should have held onto a spot there now likely going to be back into that conversation with this win here uh, over San Diego State. Uh, the Mountain West has continued to actually boost each other's net rankings. There was this concern that these five or six programs would all kind of beat each other up and they would all fall in the net rankings and they'd only get two or three teams into the NCAA tournament. But the, the way that these teams have kind of played in these close matchups, the Mountain West is looking like it could still get four or five, probably not six, but you never know teams into the NCAA tournament. But Leaf, Two big wins from two big schools in the state of Utah. What stands out to you about these matchups? Well, I think Utah State's win mattered more uh, in terms of the context of both the tournament and and just what it meant to the school. Mm -hmm. Utah State is playing a team in San Diego State that's ran the Mountain West the last few years. Mm -hmm. San Diego State has played their best basketball of the season, just got ranked within the top four of, of their uh, – I mean, sorry, top four seeds, so top 16 mm -hmm. teams in the country – Utah State took sole possession of the Mountain West number one spot. And that was a game where they controlled. They were up five at halftime. They're up five to 10 for the majority of the game. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, San Diego State cut it to one. That would have been a monumental loss had Utah mm -hmm. State suffered it. They closed it out very well, got a little bit fortuitous with a back tap after a block, hit a dagger three, and hit their free throws. Huge win for Danny Sprinkle. And th this is a building block for them. As you know, they've shifted through coaches three straight years and they've mm -hmm. still made the tournament each and every year. So they've been very good in hiring, but I think Danny Sprinkle is fantastic. And, and I know this is more of like a Utah propaganda thing, uh, <laughs> or excuse me, Utah state, but the state of Utah propaganda mm -hmm. thing, everyone talks about Danny Sprinkle being amazing here. And they're saying, Oh, we should get more national coach of the year recognition, but they're right. Like that mm -hmm. is like, that's a program that didn't have all the pieces. They lost mm -hmm. their coach. A couple of their best players followed their coach to VCU and now they've been within the top 25. As for BYU, I, I expected them to win that game. 
um, and and so did Las Vegas. I mean, they were four and a half point favorites by the time that game started. Yeah. But just from a from a watching basketball standpoint, if you watch Baylor and BYU, Baylor's good at protecting the rim when Eve Missy's in, but mm-hmm. BYU's bigs don't go to the rim. So right. they space out and Ali Khalifa shoots, uh, Noah Waterman shoots, Fus Traore is smaller, so he kind of burrows his way in as opposed to like a big, lengthy big that uh, someone that Misi can influence at the rim. And BYU is a really good home court advantage. So that was a game I expected BYU to win. Um, so I'm a little less like moved by it, but I think it's good that they won it, like especially considering they got down eight early, but they were in control the vast majority of that game. And I, I personally wasn't terribly moved by it because I think Baylor's overrated. Mm-hmm. I, I know they're a three seed and perhaps the resume dictates that, but I watch them play and they don't move me. I think they're just about on, on par with BYU in terms of their holistic schedule. They're probably better because they're better on the road, but, mm-hmm. but that, that one, I think Utah state was a more important win. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there too. I think uh, the big 12 has kind of had these teams all kind of clustered together now. And, and, and part of that was also Texas tech uh, surviving TCU. They only won by two in that one tech 23rd ranked team in the country uh, nearly lost here to what would have been an unranked team. Although again, I think the difference between Texas tech and TCU was incredibly minimal. And uh, this game, I, I mean, every single time I checked on it, it was within four to six points at most. So it was pretty much wire to wire the entire game, really close one. Uh, and now tech is tied with Baylor and Kansas in third place in the big 12 at eight and five TCU is seven and six. They're tied with BYU. Uh, every, all these teams kind of are really clustered together in the big 12. Uh, and I think you're right. It feels like the separation between pretty much every team in the top half of the big 12, I think Houston's got a little bit of a separation, Iowa state, maybe a little bit after that, but there's a lot of team bunched together right there. And uh, that was one of the other ranked games that happened on Tuesday. We also got to talk about Tennessee. Wow. 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 Rick Barnes's team almost lost what would have been an absolute stunner here. They escape against Missouri who is winless in the SEC, one of the worst teams, uh, one of the worst power six teams this season, a really big disappointment for Dennis Gates and the Tigers this year. Tennessee was down by three at half. They did not make a single three-pointer in the first half of this game. They were only 32% from the field. Dalton Connect was 0 of 6 with just two points in the first half. They fought back and won, but I don't think they win the majority of SEC games with that kind of first half. I mean, I'm maybe Vanderbilt, maybe, but I don't think they beat you know, anybody else. I don't think they beat Ole Miss. I don't think they beat LSU or Georgia or teams like that with how they played in this first half. They managed to secure a victory and come out of it. But man, some really rough stuff from Rick Barnes' team in that one. Yeah, I think this is a team that you don't want to play, especially when they're in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. But they're not a consistent enough team to warrant that number five spot in the country to me. Because Dalton Connect's been sensational. He's scoring 20 a game and even more than that in SEC play. Mm-hmm. But if you look at some of his best scoring outbursts, they're, they're games that Tennessee either lost or mm-hmm. had to come back from behind to win. So I think, in a way, he's so good and he's scoring so well that Tennessee's rest of his team is lagging behind, and that leaves them susceptible to me to being upset because they, they could be prone to droughts. If he's at all off, who's going to score? Like, if I were to ask you right now, Who's their second best scorer? Not second best player, because I think you can take that any different way Mm -hmm. because there's defense and they're excellent that way. But I don't have the good answer. Like, is it Zakai Ziegler just because he's the most willing to shoot? And and that's that scares me a lot because I think this team has final four written all over their roster, but the way they're so deferential and dependent on Mm -hmm. uh, Dalton Connect, I'm a 
I'm a little concerned about Tennessee, and, and this is a game, yes, they escaped. It doesn't really matter because they got a win. Even if it wasn't by a huge margin, they mm-hmm. could slip a spot in the net. Who cares? But I I just think that they're, they're, they're kind of playing with fire, and they need to find a way to find a second option. I, I think if I were Tennessee, I'd love it to be Josiah Jordan-James, yeah. and then I'd love my third option to be Ziegler and Vescovy, like some combination of those guards. Mm-hmm. But Jordan Ganey's really struggled of late. Adu has been sensational. I'd actually argue he's their second best player. Yeah, I love Adu, <laughs> but but he's just not he's not a scorer. So mm-hmm. I think they I think they're playing with fire. Yeah. Uh, last game I want to talk about before we get into some bubbleness uh, to close out the show and some previews uh, for Wednesday's games. I uh, want to give a little bit of a poor one out for the Dons of San Francisco. They have just not been able to pull off any of these wins that they needed. They lose by four to St. Mary's uh, 18th ranked team in the country. The Dons have now lost to St. Mary's, Gonzaga, Grand Canyon, and Utah State all by five or less points. They have had these narrow, narrow losses to some very good teams. If they've won two of those games, they're probably in the at-large consideration as it stands. They're out of that conversation right now. They're also two and a half, or excuse me, three games back of St. Mary's for first place in the WCC. Only a half game back from Gonzaga, so it's possible with a matchup coming up next week that if if San Francisco is able to beat Gonzaga, they could finish second in the WCC, get that double bye in the WCC tournament, but uh, rough stuff from them in this one for St. Mary's Mitchell Saxon, phenomenal game, 20 and 13 in the front court also held San Francisco's best player, Jonathan Mobo to just six points on three of seven shooting. St. Mary's continues to roll. They're doing it without Joshua Jefferson, their starting power forward. He's out uh, with a leg injury, unclear if he's going to be back before the end of the regular season, but St. Mary's still undefeated in the WCC, still looking absolutely fantastic. And the Dons missed a very, very good opportunity to pick up a marquee win here uh, against the Gales. That was a great game. Like I know many people don't stay up to watch that, mm-hmm. but the basketball was was beautifully played. Execution was at high mm-hmm. levels. Yes, Jefferson was out, and I think that made the Dons more susceptible to being upset. Or, excuse me, the Gales more susceptible mm-hmm. to being upset by the Dons. But Mobo didn't play well. Williams was sensational. Yeah. And then at the end of the game, the execution of St. Mary's mm-hmm. was just cool, calm, and composed. Like yeah. you don't you don't see that very often. Uh, in college basketball and you see all this drama at the end of the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Mary's is really playing impressive basketball. I think they need Jefferson to make that second weekend push that they've they've been kind of talking about. It's like, look, like they've been on the cusp. They've won the first round game the last couple of years. Can they win two games in the tournament? I think they need Jefferson to do that, but they're really playing excellent basketball. They're up to 14 straight wins, which is the most in the country. I This is a conversation for another time, but I maintain that the WCC has uh, some of the best – top tier coaching in the entire country with Mark Few, with Randy Bennett, Chris Gerlison, I think is a great coach. Herb Sendek, I think is a fantastic coach as well. They also have some very not so great coaching at the bottom of the conference. It's a very unique kind of dichotomy between the top and the bottom of the WCC. But this was a game between two really good coaches, two really talented teams executing well until the very end. And St. Mary's just managed to get themselves a W in that one. But Leaf, I want to move on to talk about some bubbly results that we saw from Tuesday, including a really tough loss for Tom Izzo and the Spartans. They lose to Iowa. It's a home loss in the Big Ten. And we're starting to really seriously have to wonder if Tom Izzo's team could find themselves on the bubble by the time Selection Sunday rolls around. We're going to get to that after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Folks, get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. 
because right now new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's 150 bucks in your pocket if your bet wins. So bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams with quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. If you're looking for some college lines, Duke six and a half point favorites over Miami and Coral Gables on Wednesday night. Feels like Coach Laranega might have some magic for that one. That is definitely a line to keep a close eye on. If you want to join us and throw in some money down on that one, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot. FanDuel, an official sportsbook partner of the NBA. I right, leave. Let's take a look at some of these bubble games from wins or excuse me, from Tuesday evening. We'll start with Iowa's win over Michigan State at home, 78-71. Feels like we haven't talked about the Hawkeyes much this year. Ben Cricky had a great one, 18 and 14 on 7 of 11 shooting. But once again, conversation is not really about Iowa. Conversation is about Tom Izzo's team. They were a seven seed in Joe Lenardi's latest bracketology report. They're still 24th in the net even after losing this game to Iowa. So I don't, they're not really like a team that's, they're not going to miss the tournament right now, but you have to start to have that conversation. I mean, this team is nine and seven in a relatively pedestrian big 10. They're three and seven in quad one games. They have three quad two losses, 10 combined quad one and quad two losses for Michigan state. I still think this team's in right now, but the margin of error feels pretty thin and thinner than you're used to for a Tom Izzo team. Yeah, this is a team that isn't winning the games that you expect them to pull out on the road, and that's like unfortunate. But you you'd never expect an Izzo coach team to lose to a bad Iowa team, and that's right. what this is. This Iowa team isn't led by any stars, and nor are they the dynamite team they've been offensively in years past. Uh, Izzo and company started getting it rolling to my eye. I thought they were starting yeah. to play better basketball, and they were going to coast up until their matchup against Purdue. Uh, they beat Illinois. That was a very well-played game. I watched all of it. They beat Penn State at the, on the road. And though Penn State's not great, they've been playing better and they've upset a few teams. They beat Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they beat Michigan at Michigan. It's a rivalry game. It's a little trickier than like resume would indicate. And then they have a stumper at home against Iowa. That, that stuns me. So yeah. if they were to like lose the next game against Ohio State, I think they might be on the bubble like truly. Mm-hmm. I think right now they're probably safe as a eight and nine seed yeah but but it's just so strange to see a team looking better and you're like oh there they go is those getting ready for march and like i know it's cliche but but it's true his teams really do peak at the right time of the season every year and right now they're they're not looking particularly great and i don't think playing purdue on the road northwestern at home and indiana on the road is it's going to be easy to finish the year so they really need to win against ohio state mm-hmm. and and i think that puts them like it's safe in the tournament but it, it's it's more difficult than you'd think, and I'm I'm concerned about them. And I think Tyson Walker's hurt. He just mm-hmm. doesn't look right movement wise. But he, I love the way he plays. And they need a fully healthy Tyson Walker to make any noise in March, as you're accustomed to seeing the Spartans do. Three more uh, bubbly games that I want to talk about real quickly. Uh, Wake Forest crushed Pitt. I mean, crushed them. Ninety-one fifty-eight was the final score here. Uh, the Demon Deacons went from fortieth to twenty-sixth in the net with this one victory. They are still just one in five in those quad one games and they're four and four in quad two. So the resume still to me feels questionable, Uh, but Wake Forest has played some really good basketball, especially as of late. They got three quad one games left uh, against Duke at home. They're at Virginia Tech. They got Clemson at home, which is a borderline quad one game right now. But if they can pick up one of those games, two of those games, especially, uh, they put themselves pretty securely in that field. Uh, Moving over to the Big East, Villanova taking down 
Butler, 72 to 62, 22 points from Eric Dixon. I think Butler's starting to see those, those at-large hopes fade away. Uh, three straight losses. Now they're to Marquette, Creighton, and Villanova. Not any terrible losses in there. Villanova's obviously not been great, but Butler now falls to 61st in the net. They're just 4-10 and 10 in those quad one games. Uh, and then another stunner that we saw, Arkansas, who has not been good this season at all, goes and beats Texas A&M, who was at home. They win 78-71. The Hogs up to 4-9 and nine in the SEC, while A&M falls to 6-7. and seven. And once again, kind of like Butler, it feels like A&M's Starting to fall them, they're starting to find themselves out of that at-large consideration. They're down to 50th in the net, and they have four quad three losses. Really hard to build an at-large resume when you got four losses in the quad three area. So this was a really devastating blow for AM. It, it baffles me because because this is a team that I thought would be a top 15 team all year. Like mm-hmm. they returned players from a team that was a seven seed last year. They lost in a tough matchup to the 10 seeded uh, Penn State returned their team, had the presumptive SEC player of the year in Wade Taylor, the fourth on their team. Boots Radford, Buzz Williams has his guys, and they just lose games that make you confused. Like, at home, they should be a nightmare to play, and they were at different times this season. Like, they've pulled big wins off at home, but then they lose absolute stumpers. So I agree with you. I think they're out of the bubble, but, man, at the end of the year, if I'm playing Texas A&M, I'd be terrified Mm -hmm. because that's a team that has all the talent in the world that's just playing badly and is now desperate. But I agree with all your assessments. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I think Butler's probably done, and I think I think it's going to be very difficult for Texas A and M to get in, barring a big time SEC tournament run. One ranked on ranked game taking place Wednesday night. Florida, twenty fourth ranked team, the Gators at Alabama in the SEC seven Eastern time on ESPN two. FanDuel currently favors Bama by eight and a half points. Leaf, this is an incredibly fun game, and I'm really excited to see if Florida can go into town here and then pick up a huge road victory, really help their resume, or if Alabama, who has continued to skate by and continued to be at the top of the SEC, if they can stay at the top with a big win here over the Gators. I can't wait. This, this is the game I've had circled all week. I think Florida is the most underrated team in the country. Uh, Andy can attest. I've had them ranked mm-hmm. each of the last two oh, weeks, yeah. and maybe even three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think Florida is the absolute nightmare for a one or a two seed to get in, in their second round. Um, obviously, they have to win their first, but but this is a team that's really starting to play well. They did not coalesce early in the season, but they're the number one rebounding team in the country. They have four guards that score over 10 a game, along with one big guy in Tyree Samuel, and they have three bigs that play, and, and like they have a top eight. They have four guards and four mm-hmm. bigs that play. And they have five players that score on the top uh, above 10 points a game. And then there are two bigs that are true rebounders and, and selfless players, Conda and Hanglockton, play lots of minutes and score about six and seven points each. Alabama is not a good de- defensive team. This is going to be a shootout. But yeah. I actually think, even though Alabama's great at home, they're the SEC's top seed right now uh, in terms of in terms of uh, just SEC standings, not, mm-hmm. not rankings of the tournament. Mm-hmm. I think this will be a really good game. And I wouldn't be surprised if Florida gets a chance at winning on the road at Alabama against the top team in the SEC. I expect this to be very high scoring. I'm thinking of the, of the likes of like 85 to 80. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Florida is on the rise up. Pardon mm-hmm. me for the sake of keeping my team close to my my chest and people forgetting about them. Hope Bama wins. But uh, watch out for Florida, everyone. Yeah. If, if you're listening to Locked On College Sports, I think Florida is a team that's a diamond in the rough. They have the recipe rebounding and a lot of NBA talented guards. And that that's a ten, tends to be a dangerous recipe come March, especially if you're a lower seed. 
Five ranked teams going on the road at unranked opponents. That has been the biggest story in college hoops this year is how these ranked teams have struggled in these games. I'm just going to rattle off the five matchups. I'm going to tell you how many games I think the ranked teams win, and then I'm going to have Leaf do the same thing, and then we're going to get you all out of here today. We got Illinois, number 12, at Penn State, 630 Eastern time on the Big Ten Network. Illini favored by seven and a half. Worth noting, Kanye Clary for Penn State has been dismissed from the team. He was their leading scorer before getting dismissed. So that's a tough loss for uh, the Nittany Lions. Number eight, Duke at Miami, seven Eastern time on ESPN. Duke favored by six and a half in that one. Dayton, number 16 at George Mason, seven Eastern time on ESPN+. Plus. Dayton only favored by two and a half. And that one should be a fun A-10 battle there. Number 17, Kentucky at LSU, 9 Eastern time on ESPN. The Cats favored by six and a half. And then Colorado State, number 22, at the pit, going to take on New Mexico, 10 Eastern time, CBS Sports Network. I don't think opposing teams are ever favored at the pit. And that is the case here. FanDuel has New Mexico, despite not being the ranked team, favored by six and a half. Uh, I think ranked teams are going to go three and two. I think we're going to see two ranked teams lose. Uh, I'm going to hold close to the chest, which teams I think that might be. But I see a three and two record for those ranked teams. Leaf, how do you think that these ranked teams are going to do in these five matchups? So in, on a, upon initial glance, I was thinking four and one. Mm-hmm. I don't know a ton about George Mason, but I will say mm-hmm. Dayton doesn't impress me wildly. Yeah, uh, I've been lower on them than the AP mm-hmm. poll. I've been lower than you and Isaac on them. Mm-hmm. But I do think they need this game because right now they're 10 and two in the A-10 as are Loyola Chicago and Dayton also plays yeah. Loyola Chicago on the road. So Dayton needs this game badly. But if I were to choose two upsets, and this is a dangerous game, I'll try though. <laughs> I would go with George Mason winning mm-hmm. and I would go with New Mexico winning. I think, yeah. I think Duke will beat Miami because Miami's not very good defensively. Mm-hmm. I think Illinois beats Penn state. Mm-hmm. And I think Kentucky will beat LSU. That said that one, I have less confidence in. Yeah. Yeah. Kentucky, I, I think Kentucky will do it because Calipari has been ridiculed so much mm-hmm. that this team is going to be focused defensively and LSU is terrible defensively. So even if they're not very good defensively, they can still outrun and score. Um, but that that would be my third one if I were to be questionable. And then I think, obviously, if a team's favored by six and a half, according to FanDuel, you're mm-hmm. probably going to bet on the team that is the underdog at home. Or sorry, the mm-hmm. underdog numerically, but the favorite in terms of Las Vegas. I, yeah. I, I think New Mexico beats Colorado State. Yep, yeah, I'm with you on that one as well. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us today here on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Always fun to get chances to talk about big upsets like UConn and Creighton. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday recapping these games, getting you ready for a really fun weekend of college basketball games as well as we get closer and closer to March. Thanks again to those of you who have made this show your first listen or your first watch of the day. Remember to join us on our Discord channel where we're talking about these games 24-7. There is a link in the show notes on audio and video platforms. It is free to join. Uh, Until Thursday, thanks again for listening and peace out.